Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Sometime in your past, you've probably had the following discussion. It might have been with just a friend or two, or maybe it was a game that you played at a party. Maybe it was an activity you did at some sort of team-building event at work or in school. The situation begins something like this. If you were stranded on an island, what five things would you want with you? Now, it's pretty easy to ruin the challenge of that discussion by coming up with some obvious answers like uh, a ship with full fuel tanks, a year's supply of food and water, a radio, a map, and a compass. Usually, though, the ground rules of such an activity are set so that you aren't allowed to ask for or have the resources that would actually get you off of the island. So if you're a fan of Survivor or Lost or maybe, maybe if you're just old enough to remember that the first season of Gilligan's Island was filmed in black and white, it's something that you can have fun with. One of the other questions that's often a part of that game is, if you could only have one book with you, what book would that be? Some people might say uh, a guide to the plants and the animals of the island, or perhaps a survival manual. Others may choose a first aid book, and you might even be able to push the rules a little bit and say, I would like a book on how to build a boat. Most people, however, tend to respond that they would want a book that they have found meaningful in their lives. It might be a great classic novel, maybe an inspiring biography, a volume of beautiful poetry. Most of the time, but not always, those who consider themselves Christians will say, I would want to have the Bible. Good answer, obviously. In any and in all situations, of course, and especially when we find ourselves in times of difficulty, God's Word is where we should turn for answers. It is there, in the inspired writings of the prophets and apostles and evangelists, that we find truth and hope and inspiration. There we find warnings, encouragement, practical guidance for living in the world. Most important, however, is the fact that there we find God. Not just information about God, not just history of God's creative work and then his interaction with that creation and with humanity, and not just God's ideas and expectations and promises. God himself is there. Here's another challenge question for you. If you had to choose only one of the Bible's 66 books, which one would you have with you on that island? Some might say the Psalms, filled with lovely poetic prayers and songs. The hope and confidence in God which is expressed there 
even in the face of the many difficulties which confront the authors, is certainly inspiring. Some others might choose the book of Revelation where St. John lays out the vision that he has been granted of all of the glories of heaven. Martin Luther might choose Galatians where hope in Christ is given so clearly that Luther sometimes referred to that book as My Dear Katie in reference of the fondness he had toward his beloved wife, Katerina. I think that if I were forced to choose just one of the Bible's books, I would go with St. Luke's account of the Gospel. I'm not just saying that because it's convenient for me to come up with that answer today as we are observing the feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. I've actually thought about that several times and, and quite often and for quite some time. The reason that Luke is one of my favorites is rather simple. Luke lays it all out in his introductory verses. He writes of the importance of having an accurate and reliable record of the fulfillment of God's promises. He assures his reader that he has carefully investigated the events about which he has written. He tells Theophilus, the recipient of his document, that he has written an orderly account so that Theophilus can know the certainty of the things that he has been taught about the salvation God provides us in Jesus Christ. Luke also writes in a very detailed style, giving us insight into the things that we Gentiles need to know in order to understand how God worked through the people of Israel to reveal himself and to establish the framework in which the Messiah would come. A major part of Luke's purpose is to demonstrate that Jesus is not simply the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of the whole world. So it's not just Luke's approach to research or his eloquent style that I find attractive about his gospel account. More importantly, God's message reaches me through Luke's words, giving me great comfort that I too am among the redeemed and that I am assured of the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. My fondness for Luke's Gospel is one of the reasons that the first sentence in verse 11 of our epistle lesson for today struck me so powerfully. By itself, it doesn't sound like much more than a simple statement that Paul is making in his letter to his young protege, Timothy. There Paul writes, Luke alone is with me. No great confession of faith there. No powerful prophecy about what was going to happen in the future. No fiery call to repentance. No profound doctrine or spellbinding revelation of the wonders of God or His works. Just a fact. Luke alone is with me. That sentence is pretty much what reminded me of my fondness for Luke's Gospel account and led to my discussion of just what you, what you might want to do or what book you might choose amongst those of the Bible if you were stranded somewhere all alone. And make no mistake, you are all alone. And when it comes right down to it, all that stands between you and eternal isolation, torment, and despair is that Bible. Holy Scripture is your only hope your only rescue, because it is there that God has chosen to reveal Himself to you, to give Himself to you, to tell you who He is, what He does, and sometimes, but not always, 
why he does it. God is in that book, that book that sits too often dusty, unopened, unused, unexplored, uncontemplated. But he's there, just as sure and certain as he is in the waters of baptism and in the bread and wine of his supper. Don't misunderstand me, please. I'm not saying that having a physical Bible around is your guarantee of God's presence in your life. The Bible isn't a lucky charm or some sort of talisman that you can carry around with you under your arm or or inside your purse to ward off danger and evil. You can't hope that simply by having it in close proximity to you on a shelf or sitting on your nightstand in your bedroom will allow you to absorb the goodness and the holiness of God's Word. That would be much like a foolish student who puts his math or science book under his pillow at night in a hopeless attempt to absorb some of the knowledge in it for tomorrow's big test. Certainly don't think that having your Bible out on display where others can see it, on your desk at work or school, or sitting on your coffee table at home makes you a better Christian or somehow a valiant witness for the faith just because one of your co-workers or friends might see it there. God is in the Scriptures. That's true. That is where He begins to be revealed to you and to me. That is where He begins the process of bringing you to recognize your sins, to realize your need of rescue from them, and to admit your inability to make that rescue happen by any means within yourself. For your real predicament is not that you are stranded on an uninhabited island somewhere in the middle of the ocean. Your real problem is that you are stranded on the island of yourself, a lifeless, sin-infested corpse floating in the degrading cesspool of a sinful world. You can drift along on its surface. You can even sink down into its depths. But you have no ability to move yourself toward God, and certainly not to bring the breath of life back into your lungs. Inspiration always requires an external source, or else it would be expiration, would it not? Think otherwise is sheer arrogance. You are dead in your trespasses. Repent. Taken by itself, Paul's statement that Luke alone is with me is rather empty of much meaning. It's only when we pull back and let the camera pan across the surrounding text and take it in that we can begin to see just what is meant. Paul is in prison. He is chained like a common criminal, and he knows that his time of his earthly journey is nearing an end. Just prior to this text of our epistle lesson for today, Paul has given Timothy a solemn charge to preach the Word of God in all of its truth and purity. And Paul warned Timothy that there would be times when people wouldn't want to hear that Word but instead will want to hear easy, pleasing, comfortable things rather than the things of God that are difficult to confront, hard to accept, or impossible to fully understand. As our text begins, Paul tells Timothy to stay patient and to keep his wits about him in spite of all the challenges and the difficulties that a life in Christ will bring. Timothy is to perform his duty not against all odds, but against all worlds. Paul warns that his own time is quite short, 
And he wants to ensure that the message of the Gospel does not die with his generation. Paul is also confident that the Lord has enabled him to complete his own journey and that he, Paul, has kept the faith. Indeed, Paul has. He has not only kept his own trust in the salvation given through Christ alone, he has also kept the message of the Gospel pure and unadulterated as it had been given to him both by the written Word of God, that is, the Scriptures, and by the Word made flesh by Jesus Himself. On account of his faithfulness, Paul expresses his confidence that he and all who long for the return of Christ will receive righteousness in the final judgment. Even so, we read there that Paul has been deserted by some, opposed by others, and left behind by several whom he has sent off to far-flung places to carry out the work of God. Yet as he recounts to Timothy the fact that no one stepped forward at his hearing to support him, he grants forgiveness and even asks that his fickle friends not be held accountable for their absence. Paul knows that the Lord was there present for him, strengthening his resolve and enabling him to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone he encounters. Paul finds himself with no earthly support but Luke alone. But Paul has everything he needs. God will deliver him. God will rescue him both from his isolation and from his legal trouble because Paul has been granted the faith which saves. Faith that comes from hearing the Word of God. Paul may be without physical human company but for the presence of Luke, but Paul most certainly is not, not alone. Neither are you alone. Whether you're feeling isolated in a vast crowd of humanity or pining away by yourself, feeling no love or tangible comfort from friends or family, Luke is with you, and you are not alone. Mark and Paul and Timothy are with you as well. Isaiah and Jeremiah, Moses and David, angels and archangels and all the company of heaven are with you as well. United together in word and sacrament, the church of all times and all places is joined together into the one body of Christ. In Him you are never alone. For He has promised to be with you to the close of the age, with you, with me, and with all of the faithful, wherever and whenever we gather around pulpit, font, and altar. He stands by your side in all of the trials of life. He gives you strength to withstand both tragedy and temptation. When all others have deserted you, and even when your own mind and body have left you, He will rescue you from the mouth of the hungry lion, the devil, who seeks your soul and your eternal destruction. Fight the good fight then. Finish your race. Keep the faith that God has given you. Along the way and throughout the battle, though, remember, you don't go about it alone. Your crucified and your risen Lord is with you and within you every step of the way. Christ echoing in your ears. Christ splashed upon your skin. Christ placed on your tongue. Christ poured over your parched desert island dry lips. Christ alone is with you, but Christ is never alone. Through the words of the prophets, apostles, and evangelists, 
and especially this day through the words of St. Luke, you have been made one with Christ and with all of those who will share with you in the safety and the glory of His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.